are very busy uh, being, being a husband and just a responsible human being all the way around. And so he's such a blessing. Uh, keep him in your prayers because uh, that's a lot for a person to have to attend to. And, and, and he wants to do everything that he does well, notwithstanding the fact that oftentimes the elders meet on Thursdays. Uh, so he, he definitely uh, is um, what you would call a very active human being. Um, so whenever he's uh, engaged in, in, in these different activities with the youth, uh, I would just encourage you to be praying for everything that is going on there. Uh, our kids are impacted with uh, the COVID season just as much as we are. Uh, it's in their own way and in their own form of struggle. Uh, but nonetheless, they need spiritual support. And I'm so glad that uh, we're able to offer that in this, in this season. Well, as I get into the message time, uh, I, I just want to share that this week has definitely been an emotional roller coaster, if there ever was one. Uh, we just uh, started it off with, uh, we had a calling hours here, uh, or rather uh, calling hours for uh, Joyce and Shirley's mother, and how um, uh, bittersweet that was for you guys. She was ready to go home. And we attended the, the, the celebration the next day. And in a lot of ways, uh, it was just um, a relief, but also uh, we're going to miss her a lot. And so you feel that whole cross-section. And then Irene Hirschberger, who was the, um, I, I would say, somewhere between Julia Childs and the Galloping Gourmet and Emerald, uh, there was Irene. It's too bad she didn't have her own cooking show, uh, if you remember that. And so we, we said goodbye to her for now and celebrated her life as well the next day. And it was, um, it, it was very similar to what we went through with Laura. And as you just uh, a added that to the mix, uh, we did uh, sandwich in there, trunk or treat. Uh, instead of two hours, it was three hours and some change of cars from all the way back to Kentucky Fried Chicken all the way around through the park. And it was so cool to be able to do, but also the weather, a uh, little, little sketchy, but we, we had a lot of fun. Uh, John was there, and I, I think it was just an awesome time uh, seeing all the kids, and it was just so fun. Uh, uh, it was weird because my parents never drove me around whenever I was uh, trying to do Halloween by, you know, grabbing candy from my neighbors. But they had it pretty easy this year. They just rode in the back of the car, had their costumes on, and uh, we got to meet a lot of people. And it was, it was wonderful to be able to do that and have fun that evening. As, as the week unfolded, of course, we were anticipating uh, something that uh, has been an ongoing thing for Brian, who is not here today, as he should not be here today, because he is with his, his bride, and um, hopefully they're sleeping in today. But if you're watching on online, hello guys, and congratulations. I don't know if we have a, a picture from last uh, yesterday or not, but I don't know if you recognize the person in the suit. Uh, it's honestly the first time I have ever seen Brian in a suit that I can recall. Uh, usually he has a standard uniform, Brian's uniform, you know. Uh, but uh, it was such a, a wonderful experience to be able to celebrate uh, the, uh, the, the ceremony of, um, of making a covenant before the Lord uh, with those two and their family. 
Um, and it was, um, it, it really was a, a great evening. And uh, there are just a whole lot of other details to the week, but those are kind of the highlights. And I'm one of those people that I, you know, some people are very in tune with their emotions. I'm one of those people that I have kind of happy and sad, and that's about it. I kind of skew towards the happy side. But a lot of times there are a whole other range of experiences that go on in our hearts and our minds that maybe we don't have the language for, but they definitely churn there. And sometimes they're there in such a way that um, they, they, they become so pronounced that perhaps if it is an issue involving pain, uh, we maybe don't have the words and maybe people around us don't know what to say. But I think whenever we go through those times, those are really ministry moments that as we read in Scripture, and we're going to discover today, Jesus does something very interesting in an encounter that he had uh, with a man and his son. And the description of this story, I think, as we're reading it, we can get caught up in a lot of other details, except for one small one that has to do with Jesus' response to the experience that a father has been going through for uh, a, a long time of watching his son uh, go through an agonizing experience on a almost daily reoccurring basis. So if you would, uh, I'd like to turn to uh, Mark chapter 9, and I want to I wanna explore this a little bit with you because uh, for me, it, it helps me uh, with some issues that, that I have, and I think it's something perhaps uh, all of us could benefit from, and it is... Uh, it is how we relate to the problems that other people are going through. So let's just read something here in Mark chapter 9, beginning with, with verse 14. It says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you guys, why are you arguing with those guys, those religious teachers? And then someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able and Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear, bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him that was in the boy, immediately he convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? I'm just going to stop right there for right now because there's something significant about this response that I, I think we need to pay attention to. And it's one thing to see another episode of a person suffering in the Scripture and recognize that Jesus has miraculous power that enables him to fix the problems that people bring to him. And they seem to have a, a never-ending 
uh, 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 just um, a series of, of, of different individuals in Jesus' home country that have problems that are beyond insurmountable. And when Jesus began to show evidence that he could help and he could fix these problems, uh, the word got around. And this guy was one of those people that had heard that the prophet had the ability to heal, and he had a heavy burden that he was carrying into this gathering, this crowd of people that were listening to the teachings of Jesus. And in order to, to get his attention, he says these words, teacher, and immediately Jesus stops because he's looking at his disciples, and basically he's saying, you guys have been on this on-the-job training program long enough that you should already have this down. And, you know, when that, when that sound happens, that means that you're, you're prepared. But they were prepared. And he said, you're a faithless generation, and he sort of rebukes them a little bit. And as I was reading this passage, there are times when I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of that guy. And I would almost say in this conversation that we're going into message-wise, I, I, I really struggle here. Because what is happening is Jesus is looking at the problem, and I know he has a desire to make this boy right. But there's something very subtle that I, I tend to miss. And that is what he did, first of all, by asking a question. It wasn't like, you know, you've seen faith healers on TV, and they have all of their personnel lining them up, and they come up, and they heal them, and they pass them on like it's an assembly line. Jesus, with all of those demands on his life, took a minute and asked the question, how long has this been going on? What is it like to have this young man who shouldn't have to deal with anything like this in his development, what is it like for a father to watch his son day in and day out struggle with a power that somehow has affected his life and he's helpless to do anything to respond. I mean, as a pastor, I have seen parents take children to the best children's hospital available and thankfully in this area, we have things like that. And I remember uh, when, when Walt Eibel was here and he was, and, he, and one of the aspects that he did with the Shriners was he felt that pain in every child that he had heard about, and he drove a van to haul these kids to the Shriners Hospital so that they could have whatever it was that they were going through addressed with the best medical care possible. And I think Jesus understands the depth of the pain that this guy was experiencing by asking this question and then allowing the fellow to proceed that this has been going on for a long time. And the interesting thing that is a clue within the text that we don't really, we, we don't really see as English speakers is uh, a word that is uh, the English word for p 
pity, that Jesus had pity on him. And we think about that word, and it's sort of like, yeah, I feel bad for you that you're going through that. But when you read it in the original language, the word that he is using for pity, uh, it is splunknizomai. You guys want to just say that with me, splunknizomai? I'm kind of glad we don't have to say that word. But essentially what it means in its, in its definition is to feel something in your stomach or your bowels or your gut, to have empathy at that level. It is a deep-seated sense that in my very being, in my gut, I get what you're going through. And you know what's so interesting about that, just as a sidebar? When neuroscience are tracking how your body and your brain are working together, essentially they're saying that part of your brain is actually located in your stomach. Can you believe that? It is, it is that uh, uh, vagus nerve that goes down from your brain to, uh, to your gut. And that's why people have said, I feel something in my gut. I don't have language for it, but I just feel it, and I know that it's... It's a thing. And actually, the people way back when, before the neuroscience showed up, they knew it. <laughs> they knew it was a thing. They just knew themselves well enough to know that if you're feeling it in your gut, you're feeling it at the deepest level. And so what the scripture is telling us about Jesus is something that I think everyone needs to be reminded of from time to time. And that is, we pray a lot, and a lot of times our, pray, our prayers are a summation of the agony that we're going through or the agony that we see in the life of someone that we love so much, and the helplessness that has driven us to that moment of prayer and dependence upon God that has in the back of it a sense and an expectation, God, do you hear me? Have you ever had that prayer where you're like, I'm praying to you, God, I really need to know that you hear me and that you're not silent and that you're there. I know I've had those prayers and there have been times when I've wondered, God, are you there? And when I read a passage of scripture like this from Luke chapter or Mark chapter 9, uh, interestingly enough, it's also in Matthew and it's also in Luke, which tells me that it was pretty important for people to be able to wrap their mind around it. And that word pity, I think, is intentional in its original usage because if you read it then, you would see that it was trying to underscore something about the struggle and the pain that people go through. There is a sense that when we see something that someone is struggling with, we would like to fix them or fix that, wouldn't we? I think men are probably even the worst at this because, I mean, oftentimes our jobs involve problem solving pretty much all day long. And it's easy for us to think about pain and struggles only in terms of how can I fix it. And being a problem solver myself, I a lot of times don't consider the other facet of our humanity, and that is... Maybe I need to feel it a little bit. But like I said, I'm not really in tune with my feelings very well. But I suspect 
if I'm a human being, I should have a little bit greater awareness. Not only of my own, but when I see other people struggle, my, my lens is oftentimes, what can I do as a pastor to fix this? What kind of words can I say that will help them to maybe get a good perspective on it? How can I, how can I offer something that can meaningfully provide an answer? And I think that's just the way the modern mind is, isn't it? We just want to we just want to fix it. But Jesus shows us something about this that I think a believer who's growing in the Lord, like hopefully we all are, becomes attuned to. And I'm probably late to the party, to be truth be told. But as I'm looking at this passage, and I'm just really drawing this aspect out of it, I think about things, and that is a question. Under a given set of circumstances, do I want to solve the problem or do I need to feel the pain? I have a feeling that that's probably what marriage has done for me better than anything is not liking pain and not that my wife is a pain by any stretch. It's probably the other way around, truth be told, but what I've discovered is a lot of times she doesn't want me to fix it. But she does want me to feel it. And so there's sort of a ritual that happens in our, in our family just about every day right around the time she gets home from work. And usually it's a whole of emotions that she's going through. And this. What are the problems that she's dealing with, and how can I help her fix them? Well, let me just show you a video maybe that, 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 that says better than I can say how this dynamic works. There's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way.
that not make the point? Okay, everybody's nodding their head and laughing. Usually that's a good sign that you get it, right? Uh, it took me a long time to be that guy where I'm looking at my wife and she's saying something and I'm thinking, this is what we need to do to fix it. But the realization, and perhaps it's the fact that I'm just so not in tune sometimes, the realization that we need to be heard. And oftentimes as a pastor, I find that I'm, I'm so oriented towards fixing people or helping people fix their problems that I overlook the fact that even you, Leonard, sometimes just need to be heard. And as Jesus is drawing into this encounter, I really think that's where this guy is at. Jesus, I not only want you to help me with my son, I want you to understand what I've been going through. And I really believe that as a believer, if Jesus were just a fixer, our relationship with him would be fairly shallow. Because it would be like, Jesus, we're just going to say the right words, the magic words, and we know you're going to do kind of the magic thing. But what Mark and Luke and, and Matthew are trying to tell us in the story is that Jesus was interested in what he was going through. And he wasn't immediately responding by saying, Come out, of it, come out of him right now. There were times when he did that, but a lot of times we find he wants to know a little bit about what is happening in the person's life that was their internal struggle. And if you've ever had a, a doctor who you've reported to them what is going on in your, in your life, how many of us have really wanted to say, doctor, can I just have five minutes? And if you're generous... 10 to explain to you how this has not only affected me physically but how internally it's been an issue and you know there are some doctors who get it because they understand that it's sort of a both end obviously there's something that needs to be addressed but on the other hand this is a human being that needs for lack of a better word pastoral care or good bedside manner and how many of you have ever gone to the doctor's office and you sought a remedy for an ailment and they just kind of ran you through like cattle, like, oh, you've had two and a half minutes, I got, I've got time constraints here, we have a, uh, a quota of patients we need to meet, and I get all of that as well because of the pressure, so I'm not trying to be too difficult on caregivers. But I also know, and you guys know as well, how much it means to have a, a doctor who just listens. And in effect, that's what Jesus was, wasn't he? He was a doctor for the, for the, for the overall well-being of the people that were in front of him, people like you and I created in God's image. And as we draw this from the text, it also reminds us of some things that we read about in the Old Testament. Have you ever tried to read the book of Job, for example? Well, we know Job is all about suffering, right? 
And if you ever read it, you're like, man, this is a really complicated book about suffering with three guys that are constantly in his business trying to tell him the reason why you're suffering is this. If you stop doing this, you'd stop making God mad, and it would come correct. And what I really like what Job said in, um, in his response to them. In Job 13, 5, as his friends are giving the catalog of reasons why you're going through such a hard time, and sometimes there are reasons. I mean, uh, you know, I, I came into the house um, bleeding the other day, and uh, I won't go into the graphic details of it. But my wife is, she's a realist. And she said, well, why are you bleeding all over everything? And I said, well, um, I was out in the garage, and I was grinding uh, something with the grinder. And she said, how did you get your hand in the grinder? And I said, well, I got my hand in the grinder because, well, I was cleaning underneath it, and I didn't remount it. And then I went to use it again, and then it just vibrated off the table. And, and then as it was falling off, my first reaction was, I'm going to grab it. And then I grabbed it, and as I did, it ground a little hole in my thumb. And I thought, ouch. And I went into the house expecting some sympathy like, can you feel my pain, honey? No. Her line of inquiry went to the root cause. I would call it my wife's root cause analysis. Why did the grinder fall off the pedestal or, or off the table? Uh, I unmounted it and forgot to remount it. I see. The band-aids are in the cupboard. And that was about it, you know. And she had this look in her eyes like, these are the reasons. Did you learn your lesson? Because I ain't taking you to the hospital. And I said, honey, loud and clear. Well, she does have the capacity for empathy, but she doesn't suffer fools like myself very well. And so that's what I get. And I've learned. I've learned that there are reasons sometimes, and you should probably go back and you should rethink what you're doing. But I've also learned sometimes it's not about reasons at all. And the struggle that I have as a pastor is I hear of the needs of our people sometimes, and some of them I know are just... They, they, they are just overwhelming. They are gut-wrenching. They are a worse nightmare. Struggles that could be the loss of a child or a miscarriage to um, seeing an elderly uh, parent go through dementia and everything in between. And that pain that they bring into that experience isn't so much, Pastor, what can you do about it? But I simply need someone who can, for a moment, enter into that pain with me and hopefully understand. And that's why Job responds to his friends. I wouldn't necessarily call them great friends because they were pretty busy uh, pointing out why things were not working with him and God. But in Job 13.5, we read these, this response, if only 
you were altogether silent. For you guys, that would be wisdom. Now, what is he saying? Because we all know how uncomfortable we feel when we see somebody go through pain. At times when a person loses a loved one or it is a tragic death, we want to have words, don't we, to say to those individuals in their time of grief that will, well, that'll make them feel better. Or maybe there's part of us that says, I just want to put a Band-Aid over that for you or help you. And what I've discovered from looking at the life of Jesus a little bit more carefully, and even in my own responses pastorally, that sometimes what people are really asking you is, please just listen. All I want from you is not to fix it, not to give an answer, not to say God works everything together for good, which is a wonderful passage of Scripture, but at times, not the thing to say, but to just be able to enter into that pain with them and listen. I sometimes think that's why God gives us wives, is that it teaches us some things about ourselves that we don't know right out of the gate. And it was interesting doing the, the wedding yesterday, I thought about being married for 31 years. And then you have Brian over here and you have Sorette over here. And I thought about the fact that perhaps the greatest education you can get sometimes is having to live with somebody for years and years and years in the most positive sense of the word. And they learn about you, and you learn about them. And it's not just a, we're going to coexist, but rather the intent I think God has for that design is for us to continue the process of growing in our understanding of other people and our understanding of ourselves. And I would say, especially when you, be, when, when, when you begin to process God's role in all of that, how God is a part of this experience. And I would love for everyone in this room to take away from this message today and perhaps everyone that's online listening that if there is one thing for certain that we know about our Lord Jesus, it's not simply that he can fix our problems by providing healing. It's not so much that he can fix our problem of sin but by pro providing atonement, which is mission critical. But isn't it good to know that when you open up your Bible, and some of us have the red letter Bible that are the words of Jesus, that it's almost like him speaking to us. And we hear his voice at the level of Splunk Nidzomai of him having pity, him getting it, him really getting it. And if you ever doubted that, all you have to do is fast forward a little bit and look at a bloodstained cross. And it will explain in ways that no other symbol can just how much in Jesus' gut 
he got it. He gets us. And as this story unfolds, we'll go ahead and finish it out if we can, just so that we can have some closure on it. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion, that is, have pity, have splunkzizomai on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can't, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he, rebu he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now, when Jesus said those words, come out of him and never enter him ever again, I got to think it was not just a statement as a command of authority. It was a decree from the gut. Because he saw into the situation and he felt it. And it incensed him of how much evil and things that are unjust have wrecked his world. And like the father, he wanted nothing more than to see this boy restored. I hope that impulse is alive in you and in me as we look at the people around us. Because in this season that we're in, there's a lot of people hurting. I just have to, have to say that. And there's a lot of us that we just don't have the emotional bandwidth because we're hurting as well. And if we're not hurting, we're confused. And if we're not confused, we're frustrated. And as a church, it's hard to be the church when our main preoccupation is just our own frustration and our own, own hurt, we can just default to, let's fix it, let's fix it, let's fix it. Because we just don't want one more thing piling into our world, do we? Well, we can't fix a pandemic, but we can certainly, on the personal front, perhaps attend to the relationship that we have with Jesus grow in that relationship, begin to trust with confidence that he is greater than any force at work in the world. Scripture promises greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I mention that because a lot of us, when we look out or when we hear the news or when we process information, immediately we start to feel the fear, don't we? And we start to worry. And what Jesus is trying to do for you and I, even as he looked at the troubled faces of his disciples in John chapter 14, who knew that there were storm clouds on the horizon, 
that this whole thing that has been kind of a party almost for three years, seeing Jesus score these victories with people, seeing Jesus overcome even the demonic forces, seeing Jesus heal people and take people that were marginalized socially and draw them back into the religious fellowship, seeing, seeing Jesus encounter religious teachers and take them to task for their misguided ways and seeing Jesus in all of that passion begin to just rewrite the script of how it is that we live our lives in the name of the kingdom. And then it would seem all that came, was coming crashing down. And in John 14, the disciples know in their gut this thing with Jesus is, is in trouble. And the storm clouds are mounting. The government is upset. The temple establishment is upset. There is a lot of talk about arrest, and we've seen that already kind of happen. And Jesus looked in their troubled faces, and he said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a given. But I want you to know something. If I paraphrase this correctly, I have overcome this world. And I'm actually going to prepare a place for you. And it's a place that will be devoid of those things right now that are upsetting you. And I want to give you that assurance that I'm going to prepare this place for you and it is going to involve a high degree of pain for me to travel that route to get there. But I understand that's what it's going to require for you and I to be able to overcome these things that we'd like to fix. But it can only happen if we trust him like people there were starting to trust. But there's a sense where he says, oh, faithless generation." That's sort of a, a sideways comment to us sometimes, isn't it? Because we don't trust him as much as we would like to. Sometimes we're not sure about him. And what I'd like to surface today is I know everyone in this room has some level of pain that they brought into this, into this, into this day. And I know you've had varying degrees of pain, and I know that in that sense of struggle, you probably prayed. And in some cases, doubted. And your faith kind of waned. And I want you to realize something. Those feelings that we have of doubt and faithlessness, they're not from God. They're from some other source. Because as you read the scripture, there's sufficient reason to have confidence that we can trust him. Trust him with our very lives. Trust him with our souls. Trust him with our sins and our shame and the things that we carry with us through life. He is sufficient. And we can trust him that he gets it. He understands that he has that pastor's heart to listen. So many people have said to me, as I, as I bring this to a close, so many people have said to me, 
I don't want to bother God with my prayers. He's too busy. And I just want to redirect that line of thinking to, no, he's more interested in that in that than anything. Because he gets it. And he wants to be with you in it. And he wants to help you through it. Jesus is a come alongside kind of God. That we can we can grow in our assurances with as we see his kindness and his love demonstrated in that way. But perhaps the most important way that he demonstrated was on that cross because that was the ultimate healing by the ultimate healer. Despising the, sh the shame, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he had in his sight the joy set before him and he endured the cross for you and I. Perhaps that's something that we need to reverse the table a little bit and say, God, what were you feeling in that moment? And then maybe, maybe our sense of how much he cares will run a little bit deeper. Well, I'm going to conclude this with a prayer, but I'd like for anyone in the room who has a sense that God is calling you closer, that I would like to hope that there is some way that we can help you as a church to be drawn into that relationship. It may be, like, one of the other things I didn't even mention was I did a baptism this week. I mean, it was definitely the whole cross-section of religious activities. And it was great, because at every turn, God was there. And right in this moment, right now, where you're at, saved or unsaved, God is there right beside you, calling you closer. And we want to invite you into that relationship. Would you bow with me? Father, as we just conclude our time in your word, we thank you that you have sent us an ambassador from your very throne who we see in the life of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are real, that the testimony is true, and your awareness of our pain is felt at the deepest level. Lord, you know our helplessness. You know how all like sheep we wander. And yet we see in these words how much you care. Help us, Father, to know when to fix problems and when to feel the pain of others. When to respond and when to listen. Help us, Father, in our need to find from your Son those things that will make us whole again. Thank you for listening, Lord Jesus. I pray that the words that I've said would be reflective of your intentions, especially in that moment at that time. And I pray, Father, for each of us here that you would touch our lives in the way that we need to hear it today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
communion. I'd like for you guys to take the communion cup, if you got one, out back uh, and, and just uh, peel the plastic top of it off right now. And if you didn't get one, just feel free to get up and get one. This is, this is a safe place to do that. And I want you to look at this, this little round piece of bread. And it's something that is a symbol that has been part of the church experience every week since the day that he instituted it. And it's just a reminder of the many layered sense of what these symbols mean of how much a broken body means to you and I. Jesus gets it. He understands. And maybe that broken body is for sins that need to be dealt with before the Lord. Maybe it is for comfort for the pain that you bring into this room or anything in between. Jesus says, I am with you deeply and profoundly. And so as we take this loaf and we we eat of it, it's like internalizing his presence. And it is the blood of Jesus that the writer of Isaiah reminds us that by his stripes we are healed body, mind, and soul, beginning with that relationship with him and then flowing into the rest of our being. Let's thank him for that as we take it. Amen. to stand. Christ the sword and 
thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are that sure and steady anchor. You are a true and better husband. And husband, if, uh, if your wife has to deal with being called the son of God, then you can deal with being called the bride of Christ. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made it possible for us to be one with you. Thank you. You are indeed our true and steady anchor. What more is there to say? Nothing. Let's just receive it. Thank you. We have nothing to offer. The, accept, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. So as our true and better husband, help us to have a higher view of prayer. Because we have that one who not only we have his ear, but we have his heart. So I pray for the husbands in the room. And for all the men who would fill that role later in life. May it be so for our marriages. May we have a ministry of listening and wisdom in all things. And love our wives as Christ loved the church, shedding his blood for her. That we might all be cleansed and clean and brought into a oneness that we can know nothing of unless you open our hearts to it. Do that work. And thank you that you are able to do that very thing. Because not if you can, just you can. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, we love you. We'll see you soon. Go get your kids, all right?